This morning I'm going to carry on with my series on spirit-filled relationships. I'm going to talk about spirit-filled families. And this series has been focusing on the spirit-filled experience that comes to us as Christians. We went back to Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. Showing that the first effects of the love of God being poured out in our hearts is that our hearts are turned towards one another in unity and community. The Holy Spirit produces Spirit-filled communities, Spirit-filled relationships. And then... The Apostle Paul went on in Ephesians chapter 5 to talk about the next most significant relationship you could ever have on earth. That's the relationship with your husband and your wife, spirit-filled marriages. Then he goes on to talk about our topic today, spirit-filled families. How parents full of the spirit and full of love relate to their children and how children full of the spirit, full of love relate to their parents. Parents. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is Paul's instruction, but remember, it's in the context of being full of the Spirit. And when you hear this stuff, you say, My, we need to be full of God to get to this point. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord so if we ask ourselves the question today what does a spirit-filled family look like I wonder if some of you would think about the little house on the prairie and talk about the Waltons. Oh yes, yes, I'm more up to date than that. I've already been challenged on that. Now we, we do we remember the Cosby show as well, don't we? Or how about Fresh Prince Will Smith? Yes, I know about that. They were challenging me and said, Colin, you need to be get up to date. But anyway, they put it this way. Television, and for the main part, that's American television. We have our own reality shows. Uh, maybe, maybe EastEnders would be our best example of what uh, families are supposed to look like according to British media. But the fact is, is that that's a disaster. Uh, so our, our mistake, however, is not that we visualize God's best for us and say, wow, it's ideal. The difficulty is, is that we are down on ourselves, feeling hopeless failures as parents and even as sons and daughters. Reminding ourselves there's only one perfect parent, and that's God our Heavenly Father. There's only one perfect Son, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't let us off the hook. I'm simply saying this, that when you picture a spirit-filled family, you cannot, in all honesty and reality, picture a family with no problems. The issue is not whether you have problems or not, but it's what you do with your problems, where you take them, what guidance you follow, how you seek to establish family principles. And thank God for the word, the scripture here, and as we look at it, 
you can easily see that this is inspired. There is so much wisdom in a few lines, so much wisdom, so much in-depth teaching. We'll unpack just a little bit of it and maybe another time come back and do some more. But here in these lines, we read about parents and children. We're going to begin with the parents and we're going to see three things that God says parents should do. What's your responsibility as parents? And then one thing, one thing, make sure you never do this. So three things to do and one thing very much to avoid. Then actually with the children as well, there are three things to do and one significant thing to avoid. So it begins with parents and loving your children. A spirit-filled relationship is one of love. You'll see how that worked out in church relationships and marriage relationships, husbands love your wives and so on. Family relationships, we'll see it next week or next time when we talk about relationships that work and then also relationships that impact wider society. Do you know that when you relate full of the Holy Spirit, you have the capacity to change the whole of society because society in one way or another is nothing more than a network of relationships. So in all of this, the key word is love. And thank God that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of love. And the Bible says God has poured out His love for us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Parents loving your children. Now, maybe you'd need to pause and sometimes we still have a little bit of an over-idealistic view on this and say, well, you don't need to stress that parents need to love their children because Parents are well known for sacrificially loving their children, especially mothers, and we'll come on to single mothers as well in that area. Parental love is perhaps the most self-sacrificial on all of the planet. However, friends, we can't quickly move on and dismiss the fact that every one of us, including parents, we are basically selfish, self-centered, and want other people to make us feel happy. And the worst thing you can ever do to your child is to make your child feel they are responsible for your personal happiness. And this is a kind of pressure that comes upon children. It's something like this. Now look what you've done to your mother. You've upset your mother. Or you come home with a bad report. You've got a string of B's as opposed to a string of A's. And your parents go into meltdown. They almost have a nervous breakdown because they look, oh, what are we going to do? What are the neighbors going to say? Because other people have got better. What's up? My kids are terrible. God, why have you given me so many kids, kids like that? And the children go away thinking, do you know what? It's not about me at all. It's about you. It's about them. My parents are trying to live through me. My parents are trying to get satisfaction that they missed in their own life. This isn't just true of women, but particularly of mothers who tend to look to their children to provide what's been missing in the whole of their lives. You need to be a whole woman before you have children and you need to be a whole man before you become a parent. That's why Bible teaching here is very, very important. So there's this kind of selfishness and uh, the selfish goal. I love you conditionally. It may, you must respond to me, make me feel good, and I'll only value you if you perform well enough and make me feel good, which often means make me look good in the eyes of others. Christian parents are like that. And Christian ministers even worse. 
Because it's the somehow lie that, that, uh, that if you're a Christian minister, you, have, you are a perfect person, you have a perfect marriage, and you have perfect kids. Mmm, that pressure is unbearable. And imagine kids trying to live up to that and the guilt that you put upon them to make them feel that your happiness depends on the outcome of their lives. This shows an essential selfishness in human nature that we must deal with as parents for our kids to flourish and blossom. And thank God that uh, generally speaking, if you train a child in the way it should go when it's late in life and won't depart from it, generally speaking, but remember that's a proverb, not a promise that you can demand with an iron-clad guarantee. One parent said to me with two kids, one kid was the perfect kid, the other kid, the older brother, was a, well, quite the opposite. And, and, the, and the father said, you know, if my first child turns out to be well good in life, I won't take any credit for it because it's, we have to be God. But if my second kid turns out to be very good, I won't take any credit for it either because it's only God who can determine the outcome. We do what we're supposed to do, whether it works or not. Husbands love your wives, whether it is, produces any results or not. Wives love your husbands, whether they love you back, that's not the point. You, full of love, are gonna do what God calls you to do, whatever happens. And unconditional love for children is very, very important. So we're gonna begin with fathers and uh, trace in a moment three things that parents should do and one thing they should avoid. But I want to deal with this term fathers first of all. In a generation here in Britain where almost 25% of families with children are headed by a lone parent, one in five children uh, live in a lone parent um, family, and by the time you're age 15, you're more likely to have a smartphone in your pocket than a father in the house. We have to deal with this issue of lone parent families, and most of them are headed by a woman. What we'll be encouraging to you ladies to know is this, that the word fathers here can be translated parent. Of course, it does mean fathers, and in this society, most of the fathers were at home, and the fathers were the head of the house in the, in the patriarchal society, and so on and so on. But the application is wider than that, because the word fathers can mean ancestors, and can also mean parents, and that's what I'm going to talk about to include lone parent families today. And we do this with a passion in Kensington Temple. And we have testimony after testimony of how our community moves in and stands in the gap where there are homes where fathers are no longer present. And uh, many of the women give testimony to the fact of how, for example, our Boys to Men program and our So Lady program helps young people move to maturity in the context of the Christian community. Let me read you a testimony from uh, a mother of a young man in the church by the name of Reese, and, and uh, this young man went to the 
Boys to Men program, if you don't know what it is, it's a program where 13-year-olds, we take them through a program, they have mentors, the young men have male mentor, the father can be the mentor, but often it's also one of the members of the church and, and the women have mentors as well. And it's just a beautiful program. In fact, I'm advertising it today. The next one starts on the 19th of March and you can pick up forms in reception there. But I want to talk, tell you the story of this single family and I'm gonna read this story. Here we have the mum, she says, I just want to thank everybody in the Boys to Men program. Is Chinadu here? Chinadu? He's probably busy doing exactly what I'm talking about now in another part of Notting Hill where the, where the new generation meet. He, he heads this up for the men. I can't put into words what a brilliant program this is for young men at this stage of life. To have a role model and mentor really helped us to know that in the church there was a man at a point of call and reference for my son at this time. I'm a single parent knowing there is that support in this amazing church. Wow, that's nice, isn't it? I'm music to my ears. It's such a blessing. Chinadu, you've done such a great work and there are so many people that have helped us put this together. Thank you all. Now listen to this advertisement. I would recommend anyone to come to this church, particularly for the Boys to Men program. So she's saying, if for no other reason, join this church because of what we do for families. Now that is enormously affirming to us in the, in the leadership. It really does reflect our community values. And uh, then there's another one uh, here, which I won't go into full detail, it's, it's a little longer. But uh, this was a, a young boy turning 13 in a single parent home, and he was completely out of control. Um, his turning to 13 was dramatic, his voice broke overnight, he shot up in height. He was no longer a gentle lamb, but a raging ram on a collision course. He literally rammed into everything in his path. His school was calling me all the time to report one incident after the other. I couldn't deny it, he was the, sa he was the same at home. No one prepared me as a parent for this, and I was completely at my wit's end. Isn't that interesting? How many parents have come and said, nobody told me about this. Anyway, Chinadru took a personal interest and took over the mentorship, and this is her words, it was a rocky start, this is the mum speaking, it was a rocky start, but we began to see subtle changes. The ram was transforming into a gentle lamb. He became more loving, caring, polite and courteous. Ain't that a miracle? I received acknowledgement from his school, and well, I was initially suspicious. My bristling teenager was now laughing all the time, making serious changes to his life, praying more, spending more time in the word and hugging all the time now. I didn't bargain for that. Okay. <laughs> now then, um, you know, I wouldn't exactly say that the uh, picture of a good godly man is a gentle lamb. I mean, you know, may, 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 maybe, maybe, I don't know. You know, there's a, there's a bit of ferocious lion as well there we want to awaken in, in, in young men. But the point is that what I want to emphasize is that you don't have to go it alone. The Christian community is very much involved in sharing together. So that's why we had baby John Luke dedicated publicly. We could have had a private little ceremony, but it's public. 
because it's before the whole church. We're saying, Christian parents are saying, we want to bring these kids up. Would you pray for us? Would you help us? And the more we do this, the more God's word will be fulfilled. And uh, if any mother is thinking, telling people, join KT because that's where your kids will be looked after, that shows the compelling power of family life. And the more we go on into family breakdown, family meltdown in our society, the more the church has to be examples to the rest of society. The take-home message, my basic message is spirit-filled family, but the take-home message is this. God is turning the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. That's what God is doing. So we begin with fathers or parents. And there are three things to do in this phrase, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Verse four, okay, bring them up. The word there is to nurture. It means to cause to grow. Literally means to cause to fatten, but to cause to grow. So it's the rearing process. And the image here is of physical maturity, growth and development, physical maturity. But it's more than that. It's more than the physical care and nurture to see that your kids are well-fed, looked after, and so on. And in our society, not overfed because of obesity, but that's another topic, okay. Physical, emotional, moral, and spiritual development. And God has given parents the authority and ability, especially filled with the Spirit, and especially as we follow the Word of God, to do that. Thank God for that. First thing, bring them up. Secondly, train them. Training. The word here is paideia, where we get the word pedagogue from and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that word had a highly specialized reference in ancient Greek community. I'm not saying that Paul is meaning this literally word for word, but here's the picture of that word. It was the technical word by which a family and a society took young people and taught them, trained them, shaped them, led them, guided them, disciplined them with a view to, re to producing self-disciplined and productive adults as citizens of the city or as their place in society. So God is saying to parents, this word applies for you. Your job, and I give you authority to do this, is to take care of every aspect of your child's development, including education and discipline and moral development and spiritual experience and Bible teaching so that they are mature, not in a Christian context, not just as citizens, but as spirit-filled, godly citizens. Then it says the word here, do this in the training and admonition of the Lord. Admonition, admonish. That word is an interesting word because it means remind somebody, call somebody's attention to something. It is a word that addresses the mind meaning that it is us as parents who have the responsibility to educate our children. You don't just hand them over to the state and say, okay, by the time they're 18, give them back to us. We need to be in control of what the state is putting into the minds of our children. How many Christian parents do we have here? Sorry, Christian teachers, teachers, teachers. How many teachers do we have here? 
And it's not that we should homeschool all our kids or put them into Christian schools. We need to be salt and light in the world of education so that we as parents are saying, we're not happy with the way you discuss sexuality in schools. And be able to argue that from a professional and a uh, correct point of view rather than just protest. Amen? We cannot abdicate our responsibility for what our children, what our children are being fed. That includes internet access. That includes what's being shown on television. And as responsible adults in society, we cannot abdicate our responsibility and say, okay, well, let the state put the devil in and we'll bring them to the church and the church can cast the devil out. In, out, in, out. No wonder your kids are shaking all about. And a lot of people say, well, oh, it's the same thing. I take my kids to school. There it is. Their state educates them and you make them Christians and I have no responsibility. As you can see, I'm exaggerating beyond all recognition, but I'm doing it to make a point. We cannot abdicate as parents our responsibility. Your responsibility is for the government and spiritual education and life of your children. If you don't have family devotions, if you're not looking to grow your children spiritually, you, are, you, you need God to help you do that. I mean, let me put it that way. All right. Then it says, do this in the training and admonition of the Lord. This tells us a lot. It tells us that we are accountable to God the way we relate to our children and, and the outcome is in the hands of God. That's a blessing. Now we judge one another very badly because if there is a child that is out of control or somebody that turns out wrong in life, we blame the parents. And it may be the parents' fault, but there are many good godly parents whose hearts are broken by children who are rebellious. In other words, you, you, you cannot guarantee the outcome here. That's what makes it so scary, and that's the big test. If your kids turn out well, let it be a credit to you, but don't boast. And if somebody's kids is not, don't turn and say, oh, what, the, what have you done wrong? Because the result is in God's hands. And we have to acknowledge that some, parent, some kids of good parents turn out bad and some kids of bad parents turn out good. It's in the hands of God and we trust Him. So praise God, our children belong to Him. We do the best we can do as He helps us. We will make mistakes, but God will help us. Those are three things to do. One thing to avoid. What is the one thing that God says to parents, make sure this never happens? And it's so important because it's, it almost always happens. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What a strange statement. The word provoke here means to exasperate. So far from just saying, kids, shut up and do what you're told. Parents, make sure you do not provoke any wrath, anger, or resentment in your kids. So important. Why? Because if, that, if kids grow up with that dishonoring attitude, the whole of their life will be very hard for their life to work out well. We're coming back to that. So the word here is, is alongside anger. That's, that's the exact meaning of the word. Don't alongside anger your children. Don't alongside anger your children. 
And so that little preposition, para, which means alongside, is very important. It's a picture word. So it's like you have somebody, I would, I would do it. I don't know if there's anybody patient enough. Let's, are you patient enough, Scott? Can you, can you reckon you can do this? All right. Scott's very streetwise, so I, be, I better watch myself. So, so there's somebody here, you know, alongside. So as parents, you have a position, a privileged position. Come in the center, because there's some people up there who can't see. Okay. A privileged position alongside your kids. And you, are, and you know, when you're very close to somebody, like members of your family, parents know just how to provoke their, their children. And children just know how to wind up their parents. Husbands know just what to do to upset their wives. And wives also. This is reality because you're close. You can hurt the people closest to you more than anybody else. You know exactly what annoys them. And the picture here, this is actually very, very annoying. It's, it's somebody alongside provoking you, particularly provoke, come, come on, provoke, provoke. You're, you're right, can you take that? Can you take another one? I really, I'm taking my life in my hands here. Okay, it's stand alongside and provoking and provoking. So think of that. So a parent is right there with, with authority and the words that you say are particularly provocative. God gave you words to provoke good things and a position to provoke good things, not to destroy or to discourage or to bring out some kind of resentment in your kids. Thank you, God bless you. We're still friends. Okay. <laughs> amen and amen. That's the picture. Okay. So how, how is it that this can easily happen? In one of two ways, as far as I can see it. That is inconsistency in, our, in the way we relate to our kids. One day, they can do what they like. The other day, they almost have capital punishment for, for, for making a, a squeak. You can either over-discipline your kids, which produces this resentment, or you can under-discipline them, which equally produces resentment. Most of us will tend to fall on one side or the other. Over-discipline, disciplinarian, authoritarian, you know, a typical African dad. Here we are. Okay. I come from Africa, and I, I, know, I know what the kiboko feels like. <laughs> That's a rhino rod. <laughs> Spare the rhino rod. It was not spared in our house. But harsh discipline is not loving. But no discipline is also not loving. Do you know how damaging it is even when you use verbal harshness against your kids? God has given you authority. You say such things. Oh, you stupid, stupid, stupid child. And even after the third stupid, you still don't feel any better. <laughs> you don't find relief. What are you saying to your kid? You're attaching the identity of stupidity with your child. You want that child to grow up with that hanging over them? Now, you think that was a stupid thing to do because that's the fact. If it was a stupid thing to do. Be very, very careful. The Journal of Child Development published research conducted by the University of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and the University of Michigan. And they looked at the effect of harsh verbal discipline upon children in their adolescent years. And found that teens who were screamed at or cursed out by their parents, well, you would never swear at your children, would you, Christian parents? Well then, let me tell you a story. 
young boy had his best mate round, and they're having fun. What can we do now? No, I tell you what. Let me show you something. You want to see my dad swear? Oh no, he's, it'll be fun. So the boy began to provoke his dad till his dad finally lost it, yelling and screaming, and then came the swear word. And, and as he was experiencing the rough end of discipline, his face was beaming from ear to ear. I told you I could make my dad swear. Let's lift the lid off this stuff. There's, there's so much stuff that happens in our homes that would not be conducive to an 11 o'clock service. Is this not correct? Come on, people. Let's own up. Well, none of us is perfect, but the point is, is that if we think that's a good thing to do, know that in the participants in that study, those kids, every one of them, their behavior went down. They went from bad to worse. The behavior at school lied against their parents, even began to steal and fight. So over-discipline, including beating your children. The Bible says, foolishness, Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound up in a child's heart, and that's why discipline is necessary. And what is foolishness? Foolishness is the belief that I can do my own thing, go my own way, and find real satisfaction, and there are no consequences for disobeying God. That's foolishness. And that's where we're all born with that. We still have that old foolishness in our heads as adults. But the parent's job is to create the right kind of boundaries so that there are consequences. So that when they grow up, they have inbuilt self-discipline, knowing that there are moral consequences even if they don't all come about in this life. That's the role of parents. And that is the real rod of correction. The real rod of correction is when the boundary is, is franchised or, or broken, and on the other side of the boundary, there are consequences that you bring into that child's life, disciplinary con uh, uh, consequences, so the child is ch chastised and knows that it is wrong. And some parents believe there are certain things that are so serious that it deserves a smack. Personally, I don't think that. That's my view. I do not believe that you have to be physically violent with your kids in order to discipline them. But in Britain, it's not against the law to discipline your kids like that. But remember, there's a 2004 Children's Act where it says it is illegal to hit your child if it causes bruising, swelling, cuts, grazes, or scratches. And this is punishable by five years, up to five years in prison. So you can't bring African habits here if it comes to that. I'm serious. I'm glad you're laughing because it means you're not offended. But I know, I know. I was beaten so much in the African style that my back and backside would look like a zebra. And that's, uh, that's not even funny because it, if I'd been taken to the social services in the 21st century, my parents, well, at least my father, would have been in prison. And that's where we have to be very, very careful. Okay, so the people who say you have to beat your child because it talks about the rod of correction. Don't forget the other side of this is, is blessing. So you reward good behavior. You, you bless your kids, but there, is, there are consequences when things are, the children are not obeying. Okay, so remember that discipline is necessary. But the rod of correction will drive it far from your kid. What will that mean? The more you beat your kid, you're going to beat out their Adamic nature? No, you beat your kid and you go too far and you start getting harsh in your discipline, you're going to find there's resentment building which you, it's going to 
make big trouble for you, your family, and for your kid for the rest of their lives. Prison or no prison. The other side of this, though, is under-discipline. This is where kids can do whatever they like, or inconsistent discipline. Parents, you've got to get together, build the boundaries, and do this in such a way that is honest and consistent, and not soft and not harsh. Okay, so do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not bring your children to a place of frustration and resentment. Very important. Okay, now then we're gonna go back, rewind to the beginning of the chapter and look at children loving your parents. And right here we have to ask the question, let's go straight for the sore spot. How can we as children love a parent who fails us? What does it mean? What does it look like to love a parent who has abused you? To love a parent who has neglected you, ignored you, favored another sibling over you, or abandoned you? How can you love a father whom you have never met or wants nothing to do with you? What does it mean? Is the love of Jesus so strong that we can have God-honoring attitudes to our parents even when they have failed us? I hope so, because we have all failed as parents. And this is the most important thing for kids to do. But let's back up a little bit. What are the kids called to do? Obey your parents. In the Lord, in the Lord, it's not about doing whatever they tell you, if they tell you to steal and so on, but it's about respecting your parents' rulings, standards and words. Why? What if they're bad parents? Why would, you still, why would this still be relevant? Because the word parent here is a word that reminds you of where you, how you came into being. Obey the ones who were responsible under God for bringing you into this world. That is the gift of God's life to you via the earthly instruments. And in that way, you can honor any parent. Not saying you have to agree with what they've done or think that they're marvelous and amazing as people, but you can honor them because God used them to bring you glorious, wonderful, unique you into this world and you matter and you count and that was God's plan all along. Amen. Honor your father and mother. The word honor means respect, prize, value. And it comes with the promise that it may go well with you. We come back to that. And implied in this is the third thing. So obey your parents, honor them, and then take care of them because honor means money. Here we can learn a lot from our African people, especially our Nigerians. I ask you a question. Who, whose is your children's first pay packet. Who does it belong to? Nah. Would any, any people who are not from Africa like to comment on that? Your kids' first pay packet, tradition in Nigeria, they come home, Mama, Daddy, this is my first pay packet. It all belongs to you. Maybe they've taken a little bit out. <laughs> I like that tradition. It, no wonder Nigerians want lots and lots of kids. 
But to some societies outside of the West, what we do with our old people, our parents, is totally mystifying. When they look a little bit old or frail, put them in some home somewhere and never see them again. In extended family situations, you've got great grandma, even if she never, if she never sees the daylight, she's up there somewhere. She's the lady. And they still honor, even when people are just not anywhere competent to look after themselves. Honoring is important. But let's get to this one thing, therefore, to avoid. Three things to do, obey, honor, and take care of them. One thing to avoid above everything else, kids avoid getting angry and holding resentment against your parents. That's what this passage is all about. When you harbor resentment against your parents, instead of forgiving them, your life will go wrong, almost without exception. You cannot enter a healthy, godly adult life in society with that much baggage from your home. All you can do is bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, God, I let it all go. When I was a young teenage boy, and I told you, my father, African and all the rest of it, well, you know, African, white African from immigration back in the 1800s, but had all of these attitudes. My mama, we were beaten one day so bad, it's just unimaginable, and I know many have gone through far worse, I've spoken to you over the years. And there we were, I don't know what we'd done wrong, and I'm pretty sure we'd done something wrong, and I'm pretty sure I was behind it but I can't remember. All I can remember is what happened, what followed the behind it. I'm making a little light of it, but it was a terrible traumatic experience and we were stripped naked and beaten so bad, uh, marks all over our bodies. I mean, I don't think blood was actually drawn, but we, 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 were, we couldn't be seen for several days, if not weeks. And then my father, in such a fit of rage, brought my mother into the, into the shower room and said, look at your boys now. What do you think of them? Aren't they disgusting? And I remember at that moment, something died on the inside of me. And I could not be standing here today doing what I'm doing if there don't come a point in my life when the Holy Spirit put his finger on that hurt and said, it's time to forgive your dad. And as I began to pray, I began to justify my father. I'm sure I must have been bad. I'm sure I must have deserved it. I was such a naughty child. Holy Spirit said, don't say that. I told you to forgive. And to forgive means you've got to acknowledge that you have been wronged. You have been hurt. And nothing hurts more than a, a parent who hurts their child in any one of the ways that are possible that we've been describing. Don't get me wrong, my dad wasn't always like that. Some very good times as well. But I had to ask God, God, I acknowledge what my father did was wrong. Whatever reason he did it, whether that's how he was hurt with it, what's going on in his life, whatever psychological, emotional damage, whatever issues he had, he had no right to pass them on to me. And the only way of breaking that curse is by bringing it before God and saying, God, my father wronged me, but you are my dad now. And there is grace and forgiveness. And as you have forgiven me, so I forgive my father.
And it doesn't have to be evil parents, the parents from hell, before you need to forgive. Sometimes otherwise good and godly parents. One parent, one father said to his teenage daughter when they start to grow out before they grow up, saying, well, you look pretty chubby. It was in a term of endearment that entered like a knife into her spirit and she had to fight anorexia from that moment onwards. It's not always the case. All right, not always the case. That, but you want to be very careful with words because words can be attached, power can be attached to those words. So remember that parents always undo anything verbal that you have said that might be disrupting your child's lives. But I speak to children. And we're all children. We're, I mean, in other words, we all have parents. When I was developing the counseling ministry in this church 25 years or, years or so ago, counsel for 20 hours a week, consistent counseling, I learned this principle I'm preaching on today, and it came out of a counseling situations, child after child, or person after person, whatever age. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, coming in. And the recurring refrain over a period of weeks was, it's just not working out. My life is just not working out. Then somebody said, it's just not going well with me. And I thought, how dumb can you be and, not, and still be breathing? This is Ephesians chapter 6. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. I mean, if you curse your parents, you know what happens? Life goes out of you. Did you know that? Let me find the verse. verse Proverbs 20, verse 20. Whoever curses his father and mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. Something goes out. Something went out in me. And I would say that was what my father did. And yes, he was a contributory factor. He triggered it, but something went out in me. A harshness, a resentment, a la How can I honor you doing this to me? And I had to reverse that curse of my own life. So when you curse your parents, speak disparagingly. What's going to happen? You won't have the promise. The promise will evade you. What is the promise? It is a beautiful promise. Genesis chapter, sorry, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Talking about the promised land, the land of Israel. And now, but we're not in that. We are in the new covenant, but Paul still takes that promise and applies it to new covenant living and says, children, get this sorted out. Honor your parents, forgive them, bless them, that it may go well with you. And when I realized that in every case where people had said similar things like that, it always went back to a father wound or a parental problem, or something that the child was holding against their parents. God, help us, please. So today is the day to forgive. And we're going to do that right now. There's going to be great joy, not only in heaven, but also on earth. Praise God for that. Amen and amen. So how do we bring all this to conclusion? I think it's a wonderful promise that is for the end time church, the Elijah ministries of Malachi. 
speaking about the ministry of Elijah in the last days. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Cell leaders, you'll see I've written that out for you to look at and discuss later on and apply to your lives in the cells. God is turning the hearts of the parents to the children, hearts of the children to the parents. And can you imagine what that will look like to a world where family is breaking down to see how we honor one another, husbands loving wives, parents loving children, children loving parents, and not, not talking about Walton's happy families or Cosby or, or Will Smith. I'm talking about Bible picture of what a spirit-filled family looks like. And here it is, reading now from the Amplified Version of the Bible, the same verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for they are his representatives. For this is just and right. Honor, esteem, and value is precious your father and your mother. This is the first command with a promise, Exodus 20, 12, that all may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, parents, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline, the counsel and admonition of the Lord. Amen, amen. Let's pray. To come to pray, there is grace and forgiveness. We're all failed as parents and children, no perfect parent but the Father, no perfect son but Jesus. Repentance today comes with the hope of forgiveness and restoration of family, that God will pour out a fresh spirit of love upon us as parents and children. We thank God that not only is Kensington Temple a multiracial, multicultural church, it is also a multi-generational community, a family. And the closer we get to the end time, the promise of Malachi will come. God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. God is in the business of restoring marriages and families. We're going to pray along those lines. Risen, he's risen, forever glorified.